If you will, you can open up your Bible to Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Matthew, the 13th chapter we're going to pick up. Today is the fifth installment, is that the word? And this is the word of God, amen? And the Bible is full of God's thoughts and his ways, and so we're going to look at some different things about matters of the heart, and we talked about this, and we go back to Proverbs, the fourth chapter, and uh, God said right there, our heart determines how we live our life. You know, when people say, you can't judge my heart, everybody can judge their own heart. Amen? And we can influence our heart. We have a part to play in how our heart is, and God will do his part too if we will cooperate with him. And so we're looking about different attitudes, different things that we can uh, put in our heart. In the Bible, uh, in the Old Testament, it said, I hid your word. Somebody said, I did that same thing, and I haven't been able to find my Bible in three weeks. That's not what he said. He said, I've hid your word in my heart. If you haven't found your Bible in three weeks, hopefully you're uh, looking on an app and reading or something. Because you can't hide something in your heart if you don't have it. So he said, I've hid your word in my heart. Why? Why? Because remember, the Bible tells us our heart is going to govern or influence how we exist and how we do things and how we live. So he said, I hid your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The power in the book is God's power. And he said he hid it in his heart and it changed the parameters of his life. Amen? And so if we want to change the parameters of our lives with God, then we need to do the same thing. Hide the word in our heart. Hide it in there. Get it lodged in there. And one way we do that is by how we think. Not not just read the Bible, but how we begin to think after Sometimes people would say it's a change of attitude, a change of ideas. Well, whatever you want to call it, we got to think different. And when we think different, it will begin to get into our heart. And when it does, our lives will be governed by that. Are you with me? And so if we're struggling, it's probably up here. And that has seeped in here. And I need to change that. Amen? There's another verse that says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? Because as we begin to think different, it influences our heart. And so we're talking about matters of the heart. God wants our lives uh, expanded in his ways. He wants us to be an influence and a force to be reckoned with. And we are. But he wants it to be known. And not just told, shown and lived. And so, right here in Matthew, the 13th chapter, we looked at this verse last week. We're going to go look at it again in a little more detail and we'll move beyond. But we we read two, well we read several passages, but we read uh, two passages or areas of scripture that I want to look at and move forward from there today. So Matthew 13. 
if my heart and your heart governs your life, then I need to do what the Lord said and guard my heart with all diligence. And part of guarding our heart in that context of Proverbs is what am I always got in front of my eyes? Now, that doesn't mean, you know, I put blinders on, but it means when I'm looking at you, how am I looking at you? When I look at the world, how am I looking at the world? In other words, what's the backdrop of the way I think? You know, there, there can be people that they walk around and think everybody's looking at them. Nobody even knows they're there, but they think everybody's looking at them. Because that really is how they think that's what they have before their eyes. You know that story about that uh, couple that came across the United States? They were in a wagon train, and they, there were people that would exit the wagon train and settle. And they came into this one community, and they saw a farmer, and they said, um, you know, what type of people are here? And he, he said, well, what type of people were where you came from? And they said, oh, everybody was always bitter and everybody was always mean and, and uh, everybody was just always backbiting. And he said, that's what you're going to find here. And they thought, uh, we're moving on. Then all of a sudden another wagon train comes in and some people got off the wagon train and they went up to that same farmer and said, oh, we love the area. What kind of people are here? And he said, well, what kind of people were where you came from? He said, they were the, the, the husband and wife spoke up. They were the greatest people. They were the most loving people. Man, it was a great place. It was hard to move, move from there. He said, those are the kind of people you're going to find here. Isn't it interesting we can all find different things at the same place? I mean, isn't that the truth? I, I can find fault or I can find whatever. And we can find different things or we can find the good that's there. Amen? And, and a lot of it has to do with where our heart is. And so here he's talking about the heart. The verses we're about to read and Jesus made some pretty wow statements right here. Matthew 13, verse 44. And we'll begin reading. And he said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. Now remember, we're talking about the heart. Attitudes or things we should adopt at a heart level. Are you with me? Some people at a heart level adopt, you know, hobbies uh, different things, and they become huge. Or their own personal enjoyment, it becomes uh, huge. And their heart is driven by these things, and Jesus right here uh, made some amazing, amazing statements. Super challenging. He said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found, and he hid. Well, that's an interesting thought. He said there was a guy somewhere out in this open field or some kind of field, and he stumbled across a treasure. Instead of taking the treasure, he, he buried, he hid the treasure. It was super valuable. He said he hid it, 
And for joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. Why did he buy that field? Why did he make a major investment? Why did he think, I'm going to get rid of everything I own to get this? Because he said he saw a treasure there. You know, sometimes we tell people, you really need to commit to the Lord. And that is true. And you really need to give up all and go for the Lord. And that's true. But really, when we look at this verse, that selling all, giving up all, was based on the value of what they were investing in. They had such great joy, they're like, he was like, I got a treasure right there. This is worth, you know, I guarantee this guy wasn't selling all to invest in something less valuable. It was a treasure. So we'll read the next verse. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who... When he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. So that pearl had to be more valuable than everything he had. He saw value in it. And so when we talk here as we move along, when the Lord is talking here about the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about, you know, matters of the heart. And this area here he's saying is, do people really find the value in the kingdom? When people get hungry for God and look to the Lord, they'll find value. If you want people to sacrifice for God and his things, they need to know him. They need to know his value. They need to know his worth. Verse 47 said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and he gathered and some of every kind and he goes through and talks about these things being worth something and the harvest at the end of the earth. As he goes on, he gives these different examples and he talks about the worth of the thing that's found. And once we find the worth in it, and here's the thing, the reason why a lot of people don't, don't or won't sacrifice, they don't know the value. They haven't experienced. You know, when the Lord was on the earth, he told people, you know, taste and see. You know, Costco has to be Christian. Because they work off that principle of taste and see. You know, they get these little things. Some of those are you taste and you're like, I, I, that's all I need to see. I am done. You know, there's a couple things I walk by and go, why do they keep doing that sample? It's not helping. But other things, I'm like, now where is this? And, you know, you do the loop, seconds and thirds, you know. For us, and you're like, now, now after I've had dinner, I need to go get dessert. Where's that sample thing? But we're like, wow, there's worth there. There's value there. We're willing to spend spend our money. Not you know the big thing. 
God is this. He does not hide himself from the hungry. He does not hide himself from the hungry. From the satisfied, he's not hiding himself, but they don't dig for the treasure. But once somebody's hungry and they get a taste of the reality, that's where you see people all of a sudden becoming radical. Oh, they're on fire. What, what does that mean, they're on fire? That's these verses right here. Man, they are excited about the Lord. What does that mean? They had some kind of experience. They found the treasure. They found the pearl of great price. Now they're willing to, to do whatever it takes to obtain that and to walk with that, to own that, to possess that, to have that in their life. And that is one thing that's so important about the Lord and having our heart fixed and how our parameters of our life are do we, do we remember our first love? Do we remember our first experience? Do we remember who he is? You know, in the book of Revelation, there was a church there. There were seven of them that were mentioned. And the Lord uh, appeared to John and told him, Now go, go tell these churches these messages. And the different churches were facing different things and had different issues just like we have different issues. We have different cultural issues, different things here, just like they had there. And so he said to this one church, uh, you're not cold, you're not hot. Now, what, what does that mean, you're not cold or hot? Now, we've made a lot of reasons what's cold and hot. One town, one area by them had hot springs. People would go there for the hot springs. There was another one that had cold mineral springs, you know, and cold water, and people would go there for that. Then when the waters came down to them, they were lukewarm. They didn't have the great value of the one or the great value of the other. It was lukewarm. People weren't rushing there for the lukewarm. And he was describing their Christian life, and he said, you're lukewarm. Being lukewarm, you get spit out of the mouth. In other words, that's not what you're looking for. And he said this to him. He said, you have left your first love. You know, it's easy to lose, uh, uh, leave your first love when you uh, don't experience the same things for people. Now, we it shouldn't be. Uh, in other words... What created the first love? What created my first love with the Lord? Well, I literally uh, didn't want to go to hell. Somebody told me, if you die and you don't know the Lord, you'll go to hell. I'm thinking, well, psh, don't want to go there. Now, I didn't do much with it, you know. And then finally, I was like, okay, my life is miserable. I'm going to give my life to the Lord um, I'm going to surrender it, and then I surrendered it, and I gave my life to him, and then all of a sudden, I found what reality was. And I went, whoa, I'm willing to sell all my land, all my friends, whatever it is, to pay for this thing. 
see what happened to them in the book of Revelation. They, they left that first love that they once had. Maybe they got in the grind. Maybe they started compromising and they lost the vitality. Now you understand this. If we lose the vitality with the Lord, he has not changed. Every revival, everything you read in the Bible, when the glory of God and the power of God would work, has not changed. God is not withholding. Are you with me? It's us that change. That's why he said, draw near and, and I'll draw near to you. It's interesting that uh, they gave up their first love, and it's interesting how he told them to get it back. He said, repent, or change the way you're thinking, and do what you did when you first had that love. Everybody awake? Turn to Matthew, the 10th chapter. We need to have that attitude, who is this that I'm serving? And uh, how valuable is God to me? Now we know that the Bible tells us that there are people we will run into in the world that are fools. Somebody said, oh, there's scriptures that say don't call them a fool. No, God said these people are fools. He said, the fool has said in their heart, there's no God. In other words, they reject, they push him away. But the Bible tells us he can be found. He can be found even to the fool. And when somebody really finds God and knows God, it gives them an opportunity when they have an encounter with the living God to go, um, I'll sell everything. I'll do whatever it takes to get that. That should be a heart attitude with us. And that heart attitude should be a reflection of who he is. Now notice these verses here in the 10th chapter of Matthew. Matthew 10, verse 37. These are probably, you know, if you read these, can be like a, a woe verse. I mean like a real... Ugh, verse. You know, at face value, uh, notice this, verse 37, 10th chapter. He who loves his father or his mother more than me, he's not even worthy of me. That'd be good just to stop right there, Lord, and then he, but he didn't. And he who loves his son or his daughter more than me, he's not even worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross, so he basically, when he uses this word cross here, he first talks about all the things in the world. And if you love them more than me, you're not worthy of me. And then he said, if you love yourself, more than you love me, you're not worthy of me. Doesn't that sound kind of challenging? We, we went into detail about this, and we'll touch on it here in a second. 
And he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And he who finds his life, and so he's basically explaining the person that won't take up his cross, that who is exalting their own life and their own lifestyle. He said, he who finds his life will lose it. But he who loses or takes up his cross, he who loses his life, for my sake, will find it. Now, now I want to say a couple of things because you hear those things, and that can be pretty challenging. You're not worthy of me. I mean, if Jesus was standing up here, he'd preach the same thing. But what does it mean? And we explain this, and I'm not going to go into great detail, but enough. When he said, you're not worthy of me, he's not talking about your worth to him. Because we know our worth to him is huge. How can you say that? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So that tells me the great worth I have or you have or the world has, saved or lost, there is great worth. How great? The greatest worth. God sent his son. What could be the greatest worth or value? I mean, look at how much he values us. That he would send his son to die as a substitute for humanity. You know, there's a thought there that God gave his son to the world, and he's never taken his son back. His son has been in the earth. His name has been on the earth for, to, the, to, to the disposal of any man, saved or not. God never took back his son, never took back the worth of humanity, he, he left his name here. So if people die and go to hell, it's not because they're not worth something to God and not treasured by God and cared for by God. It's they did not accept the name that's been left here and the gift that's been left to humanity. So when, when we read these verses, you're not worthy of me, we need to realize we're not talking about how he looks at us. Are you with me? He's really talking about how we approach him. How we live for him. And another thought here is this, and just to touch on this, uh, verse 37, he said, He who loves his, lo his mother... Notice the word more than me is not worthy of me. If he loves his son or his daughter more than me. So we have to realize here, he's not telling you hate your kids, hate your spouse, hate everybody, but love me. No, notice the word more. That doesn't mean I don't love my kids. It doesn't mean I don't love my parents. It doesn't mean I don't love my neighbor. It just means there's an order to this love, and uh, I have to love him more than any. I've told that story about a guy I worked with uh, who um, knew 
that he, he uh, belonged to a false religion. And he said, I know it's wrong. And he said, I know what you have is right. I've experienced God through you. He said, I know it. He said, I've been going to that religious thing with my wife for this year or two now. And he said, since that, this experience, and he said, I've known ever since. This isn't real. And uh, he said, but um, I can't do anything about it. I said, you've got to put the Lord above your wife. And you've got to go and give your life to the Lord. Give your life to the Lord and follow him from there. He said, if I do, she'll leave me. I said, you know, and this is what the Lord was saying here. Do you love me more? I mean, some people would say, oh, that's you. You just made the requirement so big. I didn't. I, I just re repeated the requirement to him. He wouldn't surrender his life to the Lord. And if he doesn't do that, he's going to be lost. I did hear later on after I left that company that he had been sneaking uh, stop going to that group where he was and start sneaking into a Bible church to hear. So notice, love, we don't love ourselves more uh, and we don't love our kids more, we don't love our job more, we don't love anything more. If we love other things more, we're not worthy of him. Now, now we're going to look at that word real quick because we're going to move on. But it's important to, to look and go, what does it mean worthy of him? We know that he sees our worth and our value, but he's talking about us and, and his value. In other words, there's nothing he's saying here Anything that's higher than me, you're not worthy of me. I wonder if we dismissed it, it would be this quiet, everybody walking out. But I think this is important because this is uh, uh, the words of Jesus. There's no way to skate around this. He understands me. Oh No, there were some other things he was like that we didn't go over this week. Like where he said, let the dead bury the dead. They said, we want to follow you, and, but, but we need to go take care of this and do this. And he's like, no, I didn't say that. So don't get mad at me. He said it, but there's a reason why he said what he said. Are you with me? It goes back to selling the land Selling everything I have to get that pearl of great price. Selling everything I have to buy that land where I found the treasure. And so when he said, you're not worthy of me if you don't love me more than everything, including yourself, this is what the word worthy means. It, it, first of all, th this will help you if you're writing, taking notes. Write the word worthy, just put an X through the Y. Scribble it out and you'll see the word worth. Worth. 
worth. Well, right then, that starts to change the picture. Is Jesus just as worth, is he worth just as much as a loved one, as yourself, or is he worth more? If he's so valuable that there's no other way to heaven, I would think he's worth more. If he's the creator and we're the creation, I think he's worth more. If he's God in the flesh, he's worth more. But remember, if I don't count him worth that, I'm not worthy of him. You know, if you uh, ever were going to buy a home or, you know, um, go get a car and you saw the car and it's like $30,000, you know, or $40,000, and you went, man, I'm not paying that, and you tell them for that $40,000 car, I'll give you thirty. That's not a worthy, not a worthy price you offered. All he's explaining here is, is it worthy? Worthy means worth as much. So in other words, am I exchanging something worth or to the level required? So if you're not worthy because you love your friends and everything else more, then I'm counting the worth of my friends more than him. See, I, I must not know the price of that pearl. I mean, if, you know... I don't know how to say this. I have a twisted personality sometimes. And um, somebody's like, so I almost did this like when we had our Christmas thing for our leaders, you know, in the church at our departments. I thought about um, buying uh, lottery tickets. Somebody's like, oh, you gamble. Just calm down. And get some different types of lottery tickets and then go go buy those fake ones when you scratch them there's like a million bucks and I thought we'll just give out lottery you know just kind of have a fun time you know and then have somebody win a million bucks see how they act you know which ones I'm talking about if somebody had a million dollar one Man, people would be like, I'll be your best friend. We'd start changing our attitude to, towards that w worth, right? It'd be worth scratching one of those and throwing it in a parking lot or something. And then somebody's like, Mom, I found a million-dollar one or a 100000 They're like, what? Because they look real, and you can scratch them. And I thought, you know, just bring a little excitement. That's why I said sometimes my thinking is a little warped. But you would see how people would act as soon as they get something of great value. If, if people knew it didn't have the value, they wouldn't be excited about it. You know, we said this, if, if you won one of these, it seems like, you know, you see regularly now the lottery thing gets real big and, you know, they're $500 million. I guarantee if anybody in here 
no matter how Christian you are, and you won those things, the, got them numbers, you're not going to be like, you know, you won it and you got the ticket in your back pocket and, you know, you're about to go out to eat with some people and stuff. You can't tell me you're going to not cancel and go hide that thing. You're going to go put it somewhere. You're going to do whatever it takes. You're going to guard that because you see the great value till you can get that thing turned in. Some of you are acting totally innocent. I mean, if you had, you, you'd be doing every calculation. Okay, on 500, do I get uh, 50% less? Okay, 250 million cash buyout. What are my taxes on that? I'm going to end up with $200 million. You've already spent a hundred million, you've set up this, you've done that, you, you know, you're like, you're, you've already told your boss, see ya. <laughs> you've already got four vacation homes, but you haven't even experienced it yet. You know, the big thing with God is he is who he is. And, and when we start uh, doing things worthy of him, uh, it opens us up to experience things. And when we don't, it closes us off. And I'm not going to get back into the different things we talked about in that aspect last week. But notice this. Worthy means worth as much. An offer on a home that you're going to buy, if it's a $300,000 home or let's say it's a million-dollar home, and I go in there and I'm like, oh, I'll give you 200000 for that. That's an unworthy bid. They're going to say, that's not worthy or of the right worth. Another word that's used in the Greek is weight, weightiness. You know, just like how valuable is this? And when the Lord said, here, you're not worthy of me, he's basically saying, if I I'm not the highest bid the thing you're doing, then that's not a worthy offer. Amen? So the, the question is, what is a worthy offer? Well, he told us without telling us. You know, when, when, when in the law it's required an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, so on and so forth, you do this and this. You know, you give an equivalent payment for it. Well, in this case, it's a life for life. Let me say it again. It's a life for life. Not for a life, for life. So... So my greatest thing in life has to be him. Not only him, but greatest thing. That's why I'm so glad that this book is inspired. Because if I would have wrote this, I would have just said, he who loves father and mother is not worthy of me. Then people would come to different conclusions. But he said more. Are you with me? And so if God is worth the best, this is what I wanted to get to today. What about his things? What about the things that he gives? Are, are they not as worthy or not as worth? 
so you could say it like this, and you could go through tons of scriptures, a church body is the thing given by God. I love God, but I don't like what he gave. In other words, there's worth in God, but there's worth in what he gives. The Bible said every good and perfect gift is from above. And so is there inherent value in what he gives? If only good and perfect things come, what is the value? Well, 1 Peter or 1 Timothy 3.15 calls the church the pillar and the ground of truth. Well, we don't always think the same way today that they would think back then. But a pillar, if we're a Bible school students or children's church graduates, we know about the pillar of truth and what a pillar is. Somebody said, I, I teach in children's church. I got no idea what you're talking about. No, you do. Remember Samson? Okay, I'm probably going to be talking about Samson next week. No, Samson was this guy who the Spirit of God would come on him. He compromised his life and the power dissipated uh, because he, he compromised and did some things God told him not to. Later on in his life, his hair grew back. He was a prisoner and he gained his strength back. And on the last feet before the end of his life, he did more than for God than he had his whole life, and he killed thousands of the enemy. But what happened was he was a prisoner. They would mock him, but he started getting his strength back because he started uh, doing what God had told him to do originally. And all of a sudden, he found himself with strength that he hadn't remembered in years. And he was blind because he had gotten his eyes gouged out, and he told these kids, Move me over to the pillar of this building where all these people are. Because the pillars then would, you know, they didn't have big beams. They, they would hold up the structure. So they were stacked, you know, stones. So he said, get me between these two pillars. And, and when they put him there and they moved his hands, he pushed these giant stones and the building collapsed and people died. He killed all these enemies. Well, the pillar is something that holds up things and holds a structure in order. And when he said he gave the church and he called it the pillar and the ground of truth, he's saying, listen, that is my designation to the world to be a place to hold the world up from collapsing. Why? Because the truth makes people free. It preserves people from going into decay of life. And so he called it the church, the pillar, and the ground of truth. Wow. That means that heaven tells us, will you, am I worthy of you? In other words, will you give a worth, a worth effort, a worth heart response, surrender, but then heaven gives something to the earth, and it would be the same thing. Is, is the church worthy to you? 
Now understand this. The Lord may not be worthy to somebody, but it doesn't mean he's not worth it. Because his value is inherent whether people recognize it or not. Just like the treasure in the ground. That treasure was there. We don't know how long it was there. It was there, but nobody had found it. But when somebody found it, then they made the investment. Understand this, God is all-powerful. The Bible said he is there and people grope in the darkness and look. But he said, I'm not far from him. In other words, he's there, his inherent value, who he is, he's there. But then we see he gave the church. Is the church worthy in my eyes? People get offended at the church. I wonder if that's just a trap of the enemy. To get people offended at his church, at his body, so that they won't run to the thing that can direct them, that can hold up the world from decay and can is like an escape ladder for people, you know, to get out and get eternal life and to be changed. And, and they could get offended. I remember when I got out of Bible school, I remember uh, nobody was really serving in the church to a great degree where I was. And, you know, and the pastor, he didn't know I went to Bible school. I just showed up. I knew the place was it. I knew it inside. And he said, he just asked the congregation, hey, we want to remove some wallpaper and do some stuff, and we're going to redo the children's classroom classroom and make it really cool. And so he, he said, who would be willing to help? And I was the only one that raised my hand. So I went over there, and eventually he said, well, I'll just give you a key to that room. Because I'm the only one there, stripping wallpaper and doing stuff. And, and I remember, and, and I was vacuuming over there. And, you know, it was just me and the devil and God. And this thought came to my head. Man, you're brand new here. You just graduated from Bible school. What in the world are you doing here? Somebody else should be doing this. You should be doing something way better than this. I had enough sense to realize this is the devil. Because if I'm not here, nobody's here. Nobody's helping. I had enough sense to realize that he's going to knock, and he's going to knock the value and the worth. And he's going to try and twist things. And I thought, no, this is God's kingdom. I'm going to help make this place look good, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to help. And I'm not, and I'm going to commit. And I rem, and I remember inviting him to leave. I said, "You get out of here, devil." See, some people have thoughts that come to their head. They don't even think that it might be the devil. Hallelujah. I said, no, this is worth. I don't care if nobody else sees the worth or nobody else knows. I don't know what's going on, but I do know that I'm going to see the worth in this. And if it's called the ground of truth and the pillar, the 
and the pillar of truth, man, I need to be thinking right about it. And I, it has to have a worthy or worth as much sacrifice on my behalf. Here's another thing, and we'll close with this. The gifts that are in that body need a worth or worthy response. You may look at me and go, well, there's one gift. Right, I'm a human, and I have a gift. But everybody does have gifts that are in the body. That doesn't mean everybody's going to sing. If you don't have that gift, we probably don't want to hear you up here. That's one reason why I'm not up here singing. Now, you can think you have that gift. I've thought I've had it. The only auditions I've ever had were in my shower. And I sounded good, but I, w I, w I wasn't worthy of the platform. But you understand, there's gifts in people, but if we don't count the church worthy, one thing about the church is that's where these gifts are disseminated. That, I know there's people watching online, I'm not saying anything about that, but one of the bad things about not gathering is individual supply. Individual supply. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, uh, 4, 8, and then 15 and 16, talks about how God gave stuff, and then every part has a supply to give. Now, don't make that more than what it is, but there is something to be, to be known about gathering that I am supposed to give a supply, and I am supposed to receive a supply. Do I count that worthy? Do I give the worthwhile response? Somebody said, yeah, I've been waiting for my gift to come forth. Well, we'll talk about that later. Because there is something to that. But there's steps in that. And we technically have talked about some of them. But here's the thing. If you want your gift to come forth, what have you invested? Do you count that gift as a worth thing from God and what have you consecrated yourself to in God so that it can come forth amen you know some people their gift I mean can be loving one another doing different things but one thing that about the supply of the spirit that comes through every person as we individually put the Lord in his place above all, you know there's a supply that's happening in this place. Somebody said, yeah, Julie, oh, the Spirit was on her today. But there's another side to it. I mean, that is true, but there's another side where people are all doing their thing. They're making a supply of the Spirit too. There is something coming forth out of people that creates something in this atmosphere we call the church and the presence of God, God begins to work through people. We have to honor him, though, or count him worthy and be willing to pay for the property. The jewel, the pearl, the treasure. And watch what will happen. Amen?